Focus. I'm your host for this one from June of 2016. You know, if you're a regular listener, you're always hearing me say, this one's really special. Well, that's how I feel about pretty much all of them, particularly this one. Why? Well, the subject is Cecil Taylor, and that's a topic of majesty, no matter what. We got some great rarely heard live recordings for you. That's answer number one. Answer number two, my guest is William Hooker. And William's one of my just favorite people on the earth. Magnificent improviser, musical thinker, band leader, but also just a a bright light, a big brain, a thoughtful, imaginative, great company. That's what I'm trying to do with this show. I'm trying to be really good company for you, for me. Um... But part three, the rock and the snowball, that particular night, William brought Steve Delachinsky along. Steve is an addition, well, sad to say was. He passed away not too much, too long after this broadcast, which is still kind of difficult for me to believe. But uh, aside from being a fantastic poet um, and a, a bon vivant on the scene, of uh, improvised music in New York City for decades. He is one of the all-time great Cecil Taylor scholars and a personal associate of Cecil's. Um, so he was just, well, you know, stars align this night. What can I tell you? So you're in the right place to be. This is part one of three parts. It's June of 2016. William Hooker and Steve Dalchinsky, my guests on Cecil Taylor. In deep focus. Oh, uh, the very beginning of the show, uh, I missed the, the first few words, just me with my blah, 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 getting things started. You've got the whole content of the program coming, but it sounds like it comes in in the middle. And, and, Here we and go. And it opened with a long uh, poetic piece. Yes. And I thought it would really, really be interesting if uh, Steve could also elaborate on spoken word and how it's, how it's used by uh, Mr. Taylor. What do you think, Steve? Well, I can certainly try, William. I mean, you guys did <laughs> such a great job last time, and you being a poet yourself among uh, composing and, and you know, being a musician, uh, you're pretty good with that poetry stuff yourself. But I, I will do my best because Cecil is one of those uh, few uh, musicians when I was very young. He might have been the first musician whose poetry I became aware of. And, Interesting. Uh, I was already writing, and um, I guess, like a lot of us, I probably became aware of it 
reading the back cover of unit structures. Whoa. And uh, That's right. And I was already kind of had changed my thinking about poetry by being introduced to the beats and then finding E.E. E. Cummings, who in a strange, even if seemingly non-related way, uh, was closer to where Cecil was than where the beats were. Hmm. I mean, Cecil used very, you know, and still does, very thick language and long lines, you know, the kind of post, the kind of beat, you know, post uh, Whitman, post Blakeian thing, but he was also extremely experimental. Right, right. So uh, for me, I guess one of the early experimental poets I read at that time, not counting like a line of Joyce here, a line of Joyce there, sure, sure. Was, was Cummings, who was all small case, who, who like Cecil's music, which I found a short time afterward, uh, was very structured but all over the place. Ah, well know? said. Well and, said. Uh, that that was very important to me. Well it, said. it freed up my line, which is uh, which is to mm. me very very important. Uh, well, this is the reason why I invited Steve Dalchinsky. <laughs> I like that freed up <laughs> the line because it's not so much uh, necessarily. Yeah, I mean, that could refer to music. Does refer to music. Does refer to poetry. Free up the line. And the and to visual art. I think the idea of be, we're all confined to this prison, and even if we call the prison freedom, we're we're confined in this little cage. And w- when we're in the cage, I mean, we could talk about everything from, you know, you know, Louis Armstrong's first great solo to 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 Bop and Burden. You know, they're they're really confined, but they found a way to um, discern and discern that they're in this box and then go beyond the box mm-hmm. without w- knowing somewhere that it's almost impossible to leave the box. So you have to find your freedom where wow. you, you know. And they, but they show us the way, the way out. Or they the show us the way least. out, yeah. yeah. Well, we, how about, what could be better than all this? How about listening not just to some music of Cecil Taylor, but how about some music of Cecil Taylor that none of us have ever heard before? That's even better. How's that sound? That's even better. Now, you know what? Let's not do that. Yeah, no, let's do that. <laughs> That's why yes. we love you, yes. Mitch. Yes, Mitch. And, okay. and, and one thing, Mitch, before before we dive into this. Yes. And um please tell the please tell the the listeners the first thing we're going to listen to. Okay. Cuz it yeah. Yeah, well, we've got uh we we are we are blessed to have this vast WKCR archive. And uh, all kinds of things find their way into it, including this, which was initially broadcast. Great thanks to the folks at uh, Italian State Radio in Roma, where this was recorded in 2002. May of 2002, Cecil Taylor did a solo performance at the Teatro Olimpico. Yes, yes. The Academy of Filarmonica. Right. And uh, this piece entitled The Dance Through Numbers needles that eternally vanish now before we hit it i just wanted to um state this one particular quote because i do like to listen to what mr taylor said in his own words so i came across this everything i've lived i am i am not afraid of european influences the point is to use them 
as Ellington did. As part of my life as an American Negro. Some people say I'm atonal. It depends. For one thing, on your definition of the term, I have been atonal in live performances. Basically, it's not important whether a certain chord happens to fit some student's definition of atonality. A man like Monk is concerned with growing and enriching his musical conception. And what he does comes as a living idea out of his life experiences, not from a theory. It may or may not turn out to be atonal. Mm. That's Cecil Taylor. Mm. That's an incredible that's an incredible mind. Can we hear the music? Let's. All right. Yeah. You're listening to WKCR. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he's. I mean, even the title of this is kind of. It's like you know, Dance of the Infidels, da- Cecil's thing with dance. The way Cecil incorporates pretty much all the genres within his his Work. thing. Yeah. yeah, his thing. And 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 like he would kind of say, like they say in poetry about uh, form follows function. Yeah, he's really into the. F- Let's just say into function and how all that becomes form. Yes, let's hear this. All right, something something new. What a thrill! On (laughs) WKCR, we're here with William Hooker, Steve Dalachinsky, Cecil Taylor. On WKCR.
We are in the fantastic city of Rome with Cecil Taylor, performing May 16th, 2002, and uh, terribly sorry to disrupt the performance. That was tough. That was it's painful to do, but we are uh, we're doing, we're presenting the music of Cecil Taylor and something more because we're not just playing the music, but we are presenting it in deep focus. It's the right. title of this show. I'm Mitch Goldman, and I have the great pleasure and honor of sharing this music with my guests tonight, William Hooker and Steve Dalachinsky. And uh, many times we have been enthralled together, separately together, by Cecil Taylor yeah. in audiences. And, um, you know, it's one of these things. It's funny. I made a comment before part one of the show 
that, um, you know, William, Steve, William was the first artist. I've been doing this format of the show for going on 10 years. Yeah, I know. This is a, William was the first person who ever suggested Cecil Taylor as a subject for Deep Focus. I know. I heard that two weeks ago when you did when you did that first show, and I was, and I've, you know, I'm not always around, but when I hear, you know, KCR is a station I listen to. Literally, I'm not just making a plug. I, <laughs> I, you I know, gotcha, if dude. I'm not listening to KCR, we'll turn on NYC for classical music, and then I'll go right back to KCR. So. Uh, you know, I know we can name one uh, de- guy who DJ'd here, Ben Young, who sure. played Cecil and people like Bill Dixon constantly and really delved into their music for hours at a time. And I listened to a lot of Deep Focus, and when William sa- said that, I said, yeah, you know, that's kind of crazy. And you even said it last yeah. those two weeks well, ago. Mitch said, yeah. Yeah, Mitch said, yeah. And, you know, it was something that... Um, I just remember sitting there saying, "Yeah, William, that's that's a great thing." <laughs> yeah, you know? Well, you know, you know, Steve, you know, like I, uh, I think I told Mitch this. Like, separate from all the drummers that I've, I, I hold in such high esteem, in terms of like uh, you know the kind of drumming I do and we do. Like, um, I think. Cecil Taylor has been my deepest influence. And I mean, yeah, it, I, I, seriously, separate from like uh, the way the drum set is set up and the way we, we, we explore it and, and what we do when we deal with it, you know, and all the other people that I know I've gotten things from and, and been really, some I've been really great friends with and others, I just, I, I hope I never see them again ever in life. But the point is, like, I know who's impressed my soul in this music. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, you know what I mean? I'd have I have to say the yeah. same thing, not just in music, but for me in, in poetry and visual exactly. art. Exactly, and, 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 I, and I have to acknowledge that. I have to acknowledge that. I have to acknowledge the... I was playing downstairs in the in the knitting factory, downstairs in that lo- in in the knitting factory right, downstairs. Right, right. And, on Houston um, Street. Yeah, no, 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 no. the one on no, Leonard. Oh, Leonard, Leonard. Street, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and Cecil Taylor came in, and he was with this person, and I and I just automatically like I wasn't playing at the time. I walked over to him and I said, "Wow, man! Like you know, it's it's such an honor to to to." <laughs> to talk to you, and um, what, what's happening? What are you doing here? And he says, I'm here to listen to you. Hey, I can give you the same story. And, and, and Steve, and Steve, and, you know, and then, and then I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, what are you going to do next? No, 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 so, so, you know, not in some, but, but, but then once you get into the music and it takes you where, in that place of transcendence that, that Cecil Taylor talks about in some of these quotes here, Mm. I didn't realize who was in the room at all anyway. I wasn't even there. It was some crazy stuff. It was just right. like out. Yeah. But the thing about it is after it was over, mm. and I think I shared this with you. Yeah. I start I was like in that other place, right? And I started walking down and Cecil Taylor starts re- starts reciting back to me the poem that I actually did. He's he's reciting it word for word, and I'm like, 
this dude was listening, man. He listens. This dude was listening. <laughs> I think Cecil is one of the uh, you know, r- rare musicians who actually, when he goes to a gig, you know, it doesn't matter what he's what he's doing before the gig or after the gig or <laughs> yeah. in between the gig. Yeah. Like, you know, one of the biggest things to me is the same thing you said. He already knew me. And one of the most important readings I gave in, in, in New York City. Uh, and where was it? That's a whole scene thing. I don't even like going into it. Yeah, I get it. But where was that? Uh, at the St. Mark's Church at the Poetry Project. I saw you there. Yeah, when I that, was. Wait, that's the one we were talking about. <laughs> yes. I talked about that last week, Steve. You missed it, yeah. I must have missed that part. No, you didn't. <laughs> you did because he got into this thing, man. He was standing up oh, no. all that day. Oh, you mean? You remember? You mean he, when he was reading? It? Yes, when he was reading. Oh no, what I'm talking about is when I did a reading there. Okay. And that, which is very difficult for a cat in my position, they don't, they don't, uh, they have their own little, you know, like everything else, they have the cliques. And I read there, and I was actually overwhelmed at uh, that I had such a wonderful audience to begin with. And at one point before I started, I looked up and who walked in to come and hear what for me at that moment was the most important reading of my life was Cecil. Right. And everybody said to me afterward, he came to the bar with us for a little while. He was a, a different Cecil than when, you know, it's his thing. And, you know, he was just being polite and quiet. We spoke. He told me how he felt about everything. He did the same thing to me. He re- he. Re- repeated a couple of lines of one of the longer poems I read, and he only said beautiful things. And uh, and I was, you know, if the place had been empty, which amazingly it wasn't, and he was the one guy in the back, you know, I mean, yeah, what what can I say? And he's, uh, he's always, despite whether he's been there or not been there at my gigs, he's always been a supporter. And when he comes to your gig, he comes... For a very specific reason. He doesn't come to hang out. He comes to hear the cat he's coming to hear. I remember when I was talk, told him about Charles Gale, for instance. And one day, Charles was playing at the House on the Street in the Knot Room. Yeah. And uh, and it was uh, when he was doing these runs maybe every week. And Cecil showed up at one and said, So... Where is this person? You've been. I said he's going to play. In, he's going to play. In, he's going to play in a few minutes. And he said, "Oh." And he went in and checked him out. And even though, I think they only did one very tiny tour in Europe that I think that one FM PCD came out of, or whatever the reason they didn't play more together. You know, he felt good enough about what he heard. Right. And uh, you know, and he went there to, to listen. Now, what I heard from this piece that you just played. Yes. This is interesting because um, for me, in just after maybe the first four minutes, he did something that I know that a lot of players don't do, that I can really feel is important as a musician and showing that he has this whole basis of not only the tradition behind him, but not, not, not just only the European influences or all this kind of stuff, but the, the, the tradition of the changes. And he actually, he actually played that change so pr- pr- pronounced, in such a pronounced way, and I heard it. And, and I was, I was going to grab you at that point because 
that's one thing that I that a lot of people I see they don't do. You mean when you say a lot of people, you mean improvisers? Or? Improvisers. Okay, yeah. Free jazz players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tend to try to go away from that stuff. Or, or that could be. That could be. That could be Steve. Or they just get or into they don't one can't frame, do it. Or they get into one <laughs> yeah. frame of energy right. and they keep it at that frame and it just keeps going, going, going till I've just completely. Well, that's been my biggest complaint about, particularly so-called free jazz. Uh, not so much when I was a kid, but as I got older, that you know, that idea of people always saying, "Oh, well, they're just blowing their brains out." Yeah. There was a period where. I firmly, continually protested that. But then there, there was a period, maybe sometime in the 80s on, where I saw that there were people who were just blowing their brains out, and they never even went back once to think about those changes. Or how okay. to get back into them and get, get out of them. And, and it's again, it's the same uh, if you're writing experimental poetry, which is one of the, what Cecil basically does. Okay. He has very specific sources for his poetry. And like he said to me after his l- second gig at the Whitney, uh, after we were talking about the poetry, and to some people it didn't sound, that particular poem didn't sound like poetry because it sounded more like the sources he takes a lot of it from, which are, um, you know, uh biology books, anatomy books. This is where he gets a lot of his material from. And, you know, sometime out of nowhere within the fabric of that, he'll throw in something that, even if it's not a super direct reference, you know he's talking about Bud Powell or somebody. And it's really interesting when I first started hearing that. But uh, when he did the thing at the Whitney, uh, I was thinking, wow, but this kind of sounds too much like there's less poetry and more of like textbook stuff because he uses a lot of textbook for his material but it's funny after what he said to me the one thing I was happiest about with that gig is I got to read my eight page poem and that's what he said and uh, I said now, let me oh just, great let me was, just, it re- was it really it was it was let me digest that for a moment let me digest that for a moment I got to read my eight page poem mm-hmm. Those exact words. Now, when you think about that, you know, a person of that stature, people's consciousness is not even of the of the level yet that a person can feel as if they can give someone something that that long and that deep, and people will listen. Yeah. Well, it, it's, I mean, here's the whole here's the whole gallery of the Whitney. Everybody's standing there. You got things on the walls. I I, I wasn't in town, but I'm just saying. And here we can shit. A, a person actually felt felt good about being able to share that with people, realizing where we are in this 20th century, where we are. I mean, 21st century, where we are, like. Battling like things that you, like you're gonna see in the Vision Festival, battling practically fascism. Mm-hmm. This is what we're battling. We're mm-hmm. battling closed minds. Oh, oh and, yeah. and, and you know, and then a person with a you know, and then you're gonna you give that to someone, and you really do feel good about it. That's 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 the beauty of of what I've gotten from it, Steve. What I've gotten mm-hmm. from from this man's existence, like. He took. He's taken the chances to expose himself openly to people 
regardless of what they say or what they think. Now I now I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah. I am totally down. I, with I that. agree a hundred percent. And I also think the one thing I probably always felt but never could articulate that mm-hmm. I learned at the Whitney because the first night he played, <clears throat> he um, he. Be, I I I I don't want to talk about everything that went on backstage, okay, so that but, wasn't there. but he ended up using this whole group of people, and which frustrated some people. And on one level, he was frustrated because he had stuff to read, but there was a poet he invited at the last minute to read, and you could tell by the end when it was over, he picked up the papers, and it was almost like a, I'm not going to do this now, and he didn't read. But um, but but what I did learn by that, because I've seen in the past where if with with Cecil, and I've seen it right, and it almost happened to me once, but I told him he couldn't fire me because I wasn't in the band, uh, okay. that uh, okay, okay. he allows for anarchy. Did you actually feel hired? <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> no. But, you know, I saw him fire a guy that night, so for me, it was like, okay, I know you're mad at me. And, you know, he always would say, Oh, the poet is here. The poet. So that that <laughs> night he was really upset, and when I when I walked in the room and he said, "Yes, poet," I said, "Look, I know you were upset by what I did, but you know that I just said it. I said, you know, you, I'm not in the band. You can't fire me. So if you don't want to talk to me anymore, that'll be a horrible thing. But at least I know I can listen to your music whenever I want to. But uh, what I did learn clearly." Uh, or at least deciphered for myself yes. at the Whitney is that when I wrote a poem about it while I was doing something with Min Tanaka during that thing, uh, I think the line I used was, he allows for anarchy, but he doesn't allow for dissent. Now, someone didn't understand what I meant by now, that. Now, what would, what would I, I'm interested, what do you think of that thought, Mitch? It's, well... He allows Any, for every, anarchy, yeah. but he doesn't allow for dissent. Well, that's what do you th- what I I'm felt. Just, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I got you, see. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Every statement you say about Cecil Taylor has, you know, bounces off this room full of mirrors in a thousand different crystals, you know? And that strikes me that way. And it calls into question all these things about what it means to lead a band, what it means to engage in performance, to collaborate with other people, to try to share a vision, to get people to express your ideas. Yeah. Or are they your ideas? Are they the collective's ideas? And uh, all those things are just, you know, you, you, you can't wrap your mind around it all. But, um, well, Steve, you should expand on that a little bit more. Did he explain that, or did how did you No, no, it? I arrived at that myself because... Uh, watching uh, the, it's very strange because what you what you what you're experiencing is a kind of uh, what I call chaotic structuralism. It's kind of you're 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 experiencing chaos, but again that idea of freedom in in while you're in prison. So you know, like to use that, like you know, William. Blake wrote the poem about, you know, the rich guy putting the bird in the cage and he loves to sit and hear me sing, you know? And then that got followed years later by hearing the caged bird sing. 
And you know, because <clears throat> you know, in poetry, if you're thinking about it, forget about truths, but the facts are that there's a certain amount of confinement and how that confinement gets dealt with. And I think with uh, Cecil, he um, allows everybody to be as free as they can be within the chaotic structuralism of his music. Because he's very structured, but if you don't know that, all you're feeling is this intense chaos, particularly when there's anywhere from three to 15 other people in no, the group. I've grown, I've, grown, I've grown to understand that very well, Steve. Mm, I've right. Grown, I've, I've, I've grown to understand that very well. I've also grown to understand another thing that I think is very, very... Uh, uh, it, it was taught to me in a very uh, roundabout way. Um, the, way that, the way that Cecil Taylor actually puts together a group to actually... Um, the, the pieces I've heard, um, what the groups are about, what the live performances have been about, how many people have stuck with him. I'm sure that some of the people that he's been around for a long, 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 long time, they never felt as if they were hired. He was not their employer because he's in this thing. He's in this thing with them for life. And I've, 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 I've experienced that as a musician with a lot of different people. And, and, and when you get into this thing with, the, with life, with these people, it's hard to even go to their funerals. Because if you go, you will break down because the traditional, you've, you've actually lost a part of yourself that a lot of people who see you as one, as, as one particular thing in their lives or another particular thing in their lives, they don't take into consideration that they are actually a limb of yours. They don't take that into consideration. They think of this, and the music is like that too. The music is like that too. I can hear, in many cases, I can hear like um, Conquistador, for example, mm. for me. I've only asked one musician. That was the test that I had for him. And that was a, a person that wasn't a limb. He wasn't, he wasn't a hired person. He was actually a limb of mine. And mm. I wanted to see if this guy was, could hang with me. And I said, what's the head of Conquistador? Just like that. I was like testing his ass. Well, I was testing him. I was testing him. And all of a sudden, he started playing it. And I said, you know something? This dude kind of understands me. He understands where I'm going to go. He understands that I understand the possibilities of what can happen. Mm -hmm. and, what, and what is the head of Kingston? Oh, I ain't going to tell you. Oh, see how that? See how that? I'm going to go home and listen that's to what it. I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that. I'm saying that because these are the kinds of things that you come across when you're dealing with someone like Cecil Taylor that for me, and for this guy that I ran into before we did our first show that just looked at him in two words, master teacher. And I thought about that. I thought about that from a young person, like in his early 20s. You know, these people are looking for teachers, but they, don't, they know that they come in different forms. Mm -hmm. People are looking for employers. They know that they come in different forms. People are looking for friends. They know they come in different forms. Mm -hmm. and, and then when you find people that are 
part of you. It's they grow with you, and it, I just feel that um, through some sort of abstract way, through some sort of abstract way, I have grown each time that I've investigated Cecil Taylor's work. Oh, and, and I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you, you more. Know what I mean? It's yeah. like one of the the shortest poem in this book, if I could even call it a poem, and it goes back to you talking about the knitting factory. Uh, Cecil was playing upstairs, and I don't even remember who the guy was. He was a young lion. He was playing in, in the alternate theater. Okay. And, you know, uh, everybody knows if I talk my mind, I talk about how I feel about the m music. You know, it's like a poem. Or a, if you're going to talk about what the music has to say, say what the music has to say. Okay. Yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah. I went downstairs to hear this young, young lion. lion. Yes. And, you know, and then I went upstairs to hear Cecil. Then I went down, then I went up. Because, you know, I was. I, I, I wanted. I needed to do this because I knew Cecil was playing two sets and I really needed to, to, to sure. see how I felt. And when I came up with, and a lot of people would hate me for saying this, but I said, the young man speaks and has nothing to say. The old man says the same thing over and over again, and it's always new. Well, but that it's always new. That's so beautiful. And I, Wait a minute. And say that's, that again. Say that again. The young man speaks but, but has nothing to say. The old man speaks over and over. Oh, ah, now I'm fucking up. No, no. <laughs> the young man speaks and has nothing to say. Yeah. The old man says the same thing over and over again, but it's always new. And that's the thing about someone who develops their own language. Once they develop their own language, and you know they're not going somewhere else because they're lazy. Like there are painters who, you know, made millions of bucks. And, you know, one I saw two weeks ago whose work I grew to love, but I said, yeah, I got it now. And you made a zillion dollars from doing these same kind of pieces. Show me something else. And with Cecil, the something else is always creep into the work. Yes. Like I think you try to do with your music, like I try to do with my I poetry. I really do. I really yeah, do. Because sometimes you also get bored. No, so no. I, mean, I get bored well, anyway. So me, I want to do no, something new, even me, if I write the word backwards, you know. Me, for, me, it's <laughs> not, it's not, for me, it's not being bored. For me, it's basically, I'll tell you, I go to see other people that inspire me into right. this yeah, other sure, etheric place. Right. And, 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 uh, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. It's so kind of so it's like, I don't know if this, I don't know if this, this saxophone player I heard has changed in the last, whatever it was, 15, 20 years, because I don't remember his name, and I'm sure if I followed his music, I would think he hasn't changed. But it's like, it's like uh, Anton Rooney's son. He's a now 12-year-old drummer. I've heard the kid twice, uh, except that at the Vision Festival last year, the older drummer felt he was being a little upstage because, you know, the kid was just going. But the kid is really great. I can only say that if his language doesn't change by the time he's in his 20s, he'll still be a really formidable drummer. But I can only hope that his language will change and develop into something that's completely his language. But what I saw already is if, sadly, he's stuck in one place, he'll still be a really, really formidable drummer. He's not going to go backwards. You know, he could decide to stop playing, but he won't go backwards. But it would be so great 
if he goes forward, like when we listen to the whole lineage of Cecil's music. Thank you. I'm glad you brought it back. Oh, because my, my favorite record, oddly enough, is still Looking Ahead. I could listen to Looking Ahead, you know, 50 times a month. I won't get tired of it. But, I mean, where he moved in such a short period from Looking Ahead to unit structures. And when you see, when you see an artist's vocabulary changing while it's staying the same, and that's why you felt those changes. Still. Well, last week I was listening to. Uh, last week I listened in preparation for this show. I listened to what's new. Oh yeah, lovely. I listened to yeah. what's new, mm -hmm. and um, I, I knew that there were certain things I wanted to bring in because you always, you always, you always fill, you always fill my plate. <laughs> what can I say? Well, I don't know what to say. I, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling. You're saying good. it. You don't I'm know what to good. say, but you're saying it. William Hooker in the studio putting a, a deep focus on Cecil Taylor, along with Steve Dalachinsky, yes. special guest. Like, yes. uh, I feel like I'm one of those uh, 70s detective shows. You're a special <laughs> guest star, Steve Dalachinsky, as the detective. Mm, let me see. <laughs> what is that on the table? We're having too much fun. And, uh, I'm here's just wondering who's going to eat William's last piece William's of sushi. I am. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> we are, well, William, let me tell you something. If you, uh, William, you are, you are, you guys are both speaking really from, from a deep, deep place of personal experience. And what I want to tell listeners, if they don't have the experience, to know that that is where your music comes from as well. And they have a great opportunity to hear you play this Friday, speaking of the Vision Festival, you're going to be performing at uh, Friday night, 7 p.m. Yes. Friday night, 7 p.m. The whole Vision Festival is unfurling before your very ears uh -huh. at the Judson Memorial Church in Washington Square Park South. And uh, this whole year's festival is dedicated to celebrating Henry Grimes. What a thrill and honor it is for all of us to share this plane with him. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. You know, Mitch, one of the Absolutely. first times I saw Cecil play live yeah. was when Henry Grimes and Alan Silver were the tandem bass players. Wow. And, uh, and you know, again, sadly, I don't remember where it was, but it was that group that, that's the unit structures group, I yeah. think, right? And I did see them, and I, I saw right away why Cecil used the two of these guys, because... So when, when Grimes came back on the scene and people were calling me up and saying, well, what's going on here, Steve? This cat's not an out player. I said, it's never about him being an out player. It was about his sound, his depth of sound. And when I saw him play on opposites, Alan, and the complete differences, but the way it worked was incredible. And one thing about Judson Church, one of uh, the gigs I saw of Cecil's, I think it was in the 80s, hmm. he did a series of, of, of things with Diane McIntyre, yeah. dance stuff. And I was, I was at a couple of those gigs. Uh, for some uh -huh. reason, when I was talking to her about it, my brain went into the Jazzheimer's mush mode. So I said, <laughs> you know when I saw you guys back in the 60s? And she said, no, no, that was the 80s. But I, yeah, so, and Judson Church is probably for the music, uh, not always so much for jazz, but for music and art in general, yeah. probably oh. one of the few important places left in the city with a history that is so... Oh, oh the history there is... I mean, do, do, do a little Googling just to... It's going to yeah. add to your experience. But uh, let me just throw this at you. The Vision Festival, which has been in its 21st year, mm -hmm. it can drink now, mm -hmm. and um, started opened up last night. It's going every night, I think, except tonight through Sunday. 
And uh, really, I was there last night. Were you? Well, it must have been. Uh, they had the Sunra films. And I all saw that. Space is the place. I never acknowledged that. I, I I never really realized I saw that movie before. I, mm. Some things that happened in that movie, I just didn't. I I must have seen that. I saw that movie quite a few times. And like last night in the middle of that thunderstorm, I decided. Um, um, me and my wife decided we were going to go and see Sunra. <laughs> that was that's a, a nice that's a bold yeah. move, man. Yeah, but the thing about it is, space is the place. It's different space. <laughs> yeah, it's a different. They're always different. Well, you know what makes me Especially happy? Since I lived in Oakland, <laughs> I lived in Oakland. But and I don't remember. I don't remember when I was growing up, man. Like I don't remember using um, the N word so much as was in Space in the Place. Well, don't I don't they, remember that. Isn't he used a lot now? No, I'm talking about uh, in that movie. I don't remember oh, that. Oh, I haven't seen the movie in the a while. The only person that wasn't saying it so much was Sunrise. <laughs> Sunrise. Well, he was a smart guy. He, he, was from another, he was from another planet, so that, that word wasn't in but his that, vocabulary. That was, that was well, you know, another amazing thing. thing about those films, uh, getting off the Cecil track, man, is the Phil Niblock film, the, yeah. uh, the positive uh, and negative uh images in that film against, I think it was Heliocentric Worlds, the album used. I mean, because Phil really loves jazz, but a lot of people don't know about Phil's background, don't realize that because the music he ends up composing and playing, which is a little difficult for a lot of people to take, including me a lot of times. It's <laughs> so complete. And I don't even want to say, oh, yeah, you know, if you listen this way, yeah, you can, it comes out of Bill Evans, because he really loves Bill Evans. Every time you go to his loft, he's playing Bill Evans. So, you know, it you know, it's so completely uh, op oppositional to that whole <laughs> thing you would, it, you would expect. So for me, it's it, that's another in incredible thing. It's almost like Cecil talking about how the Euro influences come in, where who is a poetic influence. Like, you know, one of his big poetic influences is Bob Kaufman. And, you know, you don't feel any Bob Kaufman in Cecil's work because Cecil's work is completely unique to Cecil. If anything... Without knowing it, he's more in toward the um, the end of experimental poetry and language poetry, and in a weird way, post Joycean kind of thinking. It's like, and what I said about when I saw Cecil with all the written, notated stuff, and this was years after I thought he was just improving. For me, it was like um, when I went into the Tate. And I saw James Joyce's manuscripts thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, he was, everything he wrote was spontaneous. That's what they called it, you know. Uh, it was, uh, he, you know, he was the inventor of this way of writing where I always thought, wow, I'm writing very Joyce, you know, I don't make correct, yeah. I don't yeah, make yeah. corrections, I don't, and I still don't make many corrections of everything. And then I looked at these manuscripts and, you know, they're all full of corrections. Of course. Yeah, so it was, yeah. you know, it was very interesting. And so I would have to say that, on that level, like a guy like Kerouac, which I think Cecil's music is a kind of synthesis of the and his poetry, a synthesis of the Joycean ideal and the Kerouac you ideal really of spontaneous see, prose. See how you think? See how you think? Well, because Kerouac is actually one of the few people who really, when he said spontaneous prose, he rarely, if ever, made corrections. And on that level, he was the closest to what he felt. I got a you. Charlie Parker solo. You know, yeah. he was just yeah. going, and it was. No, but we, no, now let's go back to this, and then I'll tell mm -hmm. you what I was thinking mm -hmm. based on what, what Steve just said. Now you just said uh, the the it's unfolding right in front of our eyes, the Vision Festival. Tell your me your ears, what, huh? 
before I said it's unfolding before, before your very ears. ears. Before our ears. Before our ears. Yeah, but right. what are you thinking? Yeah, what were you thinking? Oh no, I'm I'm taking in uh, what you guys are saying. The um, we could go off on a whole disquisition about modernism and Cecil, which I don't know if we do want to do, but in that sense that uh, of what Joyce established as in modernism and built, I think Cecil's a big part of that modernism in that um, kind of, uh, you know, big M 20th century idea. I think he's a, he's perfect, as great an example of that as Joyce or as Mies van der Rohe or as anybody you could think of. Now, what hits me, Mitch, what hits me the most is the fact that out of when I first picked up unit structures, Mm. I was really looking at all of that poetry and all that spoken word as a black man. It wasn't about form. It wasn't about what I was really touched in my soul by by the references to ancient black history. Those are the things that hit me the most. Because I realized that if I spoke to a person and I mentioned to them that this Friday, what I am trying to do with the dancer is to perhaps even elicit a response from Ogun. Mm-hmm. Many people will ask, what is that? Sure. And and then for her to have to explain out of her Haitian tradition and out of her Haitian roots what that is, it's something that, it's the same way I was looking at the back of unit structures and I was seeing all of these, all of these um, references to um, ancient black history, mm. which people don't read. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't I bring they it. I wanted to bring it to read. They, they some don't of read it. it. They don't read it. They don't. They don't read. They don't read like ISIS. They don't read. That's the reason why I'm doing. It's it's called it's called triangle symbol of perfection. We're not talking about a triangle as a physics triangle. We're talking triangle in terms of ISIS, Osiris. We're talking about triangle in terms of those kinds of beings that 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 um, the black aesthetic in my, in in my learning about myself had those things that have been important to me as a player. Mm-hmm. And I'm not only talking about music. You see, sure. I'm not talking about that. And 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 then when I bring in this dancer, and she has to explain to many people what this is, what. What is what? What is Dumbala? What what are we talking about? What is this? What, and and then people start thinking it's just some exotic whatever whatever whatever. When no, it's not at all. It's like the basis of, it's the basis of ritual, mm-hmm. which is something that I also find bringing it back to Cecil Taylor. I find his ritualistic way of approaching this giving is very important. And even if the people that are playing with him don't understand this. Oh yeah, right. Uh-huh. I agree. He's he's steeped in ritual. You see, they even if they don't understand it, just by them being there, they're gonna learn. They're gonna learn that there is something that um, 
There's something that he learned. I don't know where it was, but it obviously complements the European understanding as well. It is not about that totally. So I don't see him as being influenced by it. I see it as being influenced by him in a deeper understanding of black being. How about we should maybe go Let's back go to back. that performance? Let's, let, I, I got to hear this. Let's, uh, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. That's, right. that's interesting to what you say. And before, that's why I take be, it. But before we go back, I also want to say one thing. It's like Cecil was the first guy that I ever saw do tone clusters. And, you know, tone clusters always amaze me. But, again, going into the, the idea and aspect of, of this where we all get influenced or how. Yeah. Now, I never asked Cecil, and one day I will, because I don't know why I never did. But, you know, about 10 years ago or so, someone turned me on to Henry Cowell's piano music, which is one album's worth of music, and he wrote this stuff in, what, 1913 or something. And, you know, one of the major, I think it's called Banshees, you know, basically the whole piece is tone clusters. And he wrote, he wrote this in 1913. So these connections are so strong. And in, in his own weird way, Henry Cowell was very steeped in ritual, even if the rituals came from other cultures. And I think with Cecil, he's very steeped in the whole, you know, African-American and his, his beyond historical African-American. You can't put any of his thoughts in that kind of box. But he's so open to everything right. is what makes his music so open. And so capable. Yeah, and so an open capable. mind right. of understanding what that's totally, about. And exactly. I, I think every person who's Yeah, sorry, ever, I didn't know they did. I'm with you. I was going to say, I'm I think every person who's ever uh, heard him perform in concert knows immediately whether they came there to, to because of that or not, they couldn't leave without feeling that sense of ritual that they've been part of some... Uh, spiritual, mental, emotional transition that that they went through with that. Even One when thing. he gets up to the piano. <laughs> exactly. Of course, of course, I can only speak for myself. But music, which in many ways saved my life, led me to literature, to dance, to architecture, finally to people. So if you make a commitment to one, you begin to see there is no single art. And if you get into different kinds of art, they nurture you. If you're fortunate, they lead to an expansion of your knowledge. That's Cecil Taylor. Can we go on? We can. William Hooker is my guest tonight. The program is called Deep Focus. Steve Dalachinsky also throwing a whole bunch of coal on the fire tonight. <laughs> yes. Thank you, sir. It's uh, WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD1. I want to go to Italy. Yeah, I want to go to Italy. to Italy. Come on, folks. Come on, Roma. Roma, I want to get, get on the WKCR helicopter. Let's go. Now <laughs> departing points east. The, uh, what do we say? Uh, the Teatro Olimpico in the Academia Filarmonica, Roma, May of 2002. Solo performance by Cecil Taylor.
That is part one of three parts of this deep focus from June of 2016. William Hooker, my guest, Steve Dalachinsky, our guest, and Cecil Taylor, the topic of this deep focus. And I should also let you know, this whole program actually is the second of two three-hour broadcasts, two consecutive deep focus broadcasts um, from that same month. And the other one, uh, Steve was not on. It was just me and William talking about Cecil. And uh, also a great show. That one's going to get posted sometime later in 2021. But um, meanwhile, you got two more episodes of from this three-hour program of uh, June 6th, 2016 with William Hooker and Steve Dalchinsky. Go find them. You could find those and uh, over 100 other episodes at probably on your favorite podcasting app. You can also always find us at mitchgoldman.podbean.com. That's our hosting site. And you can also hook up with us on Instagram. It's deep focus podcast. Actually, deep underscore focus underscore podcast at uh, on Instagram. That's a good way to keep up with what's coming. All right, there you go.